Larry, I've been at CBS for 27 years. You know, I've, I've been in broadcast journalism uh, for 34 years. Um, and I have never had that feeling that you just sort of articulated. Right. I've never had it before of just, it, it's beyond being stunned. It's like, of course, we all run into things that leave you just shaking your head. This is a, a sort of a different order. And Hi there, and welcome in to a brand new week of Celebrity Salute. Dedicated to the men and women who serve our country in active duty, our veterans, and their families. We're here for you. God bless you. We love you. On each episode, we look for people and stories with some connection to these heroes. I'm Randy Miller. Jim Axelrod is the chief investigative reporter for CBS News. Jim has done some great work in his examination of veterans that are being kicked out of the military because of their sexuality. It's a very powerful story. And we're so honored to have Jim join us right here on Celebrity Salute. There's some powerful reporting going on at CBS News. Of course, we've had uh, Nora O'Donnell on several times, and she has done such great work with the the military and with veterans, exploring benefits and and just lots of great things that have come to pass because of those uh, reports. And Jim Axelrod, chief investigative correspondent for CBS News, has done a series of uh, stories that will just absolutely blow your mind. I mean, (laughs) he interviewed a Seattle Air Force vet, served time in Leavenworth prison for being gay and still carries a criminal record. Uh, Jim joins us here in the National Defense. Jim, how are you? Fine, thank you, Randy. Thank you so much for having us. Man, you know, I've been doing this show for a little over 10 years. I, I... I have never heard of this, and we talk well, we talk to veterans every single day, and this is it's an incredible it's ridiculous number one, but this is a part of the investigative unit's dishonored series about gay and lesbian service members who were denied an honorable discharge because of their sexual orientation. Jim, how did this story come to you? I got to tell you, Randy, I've been at CBS. I share your outrage. Like I share that sense of, wait, wait, wait a minute. Right. Like, this yeah, right. Be. And so like, I've been at CBS for 27 years. You know, I've, I've been in broadcast journalism uh, for 34 years. Um, and I have never had that feeling that you just sort of articulated. Right. I've never had it before of just, it, it's beyond being stunned. It's like, of course we all run into things that, leave you just shaking your head. This is a, a sort of a different order. And, uh, you know, I was, I was sort of trying to figure out the best way to put it uh, in my introduction to our piece last uh, week when we were on uh, CBS Mornings. And it, it occurred to me that, you know, he, he wasn't, we had been doing this sort of series that you alluded to that escalates the consequence that, that uh, LGBTQ uh, service, the vets, faced over the course of their experiences. And, and we, you know, we go from having uh, discharges that uh, need to be upgraded to benefits that right. are not uh, accessible. And then all of a sudden I realized he, he wasn't just punished by, you know, he, he didn't just have his, his benefits denied. This guy, Steve Morose, was put in prison for being gay. No other way that you could begin to articulate what happened. Right. To him. It, it, 11 years. Is that right? 
Well, he faced he faced uh, 17 years, the possibility of 17 years. He had five counts of consensual sodomy, uh, which carried uh, three three years apiece on five counts, and then the potential for two other charges of conduct of becoming an officer. Um, the now th- these other people have faced uh, similar situations, and they'll just plead guilty, and the understanding will be. Uh, you'll be dishonorably discharged or other than honorably discharged. And that will be that. In fact, that's sort of what his lawyer essentially told him to do. He pled. And of course, they had brought in some uh, hardline judge, uh, you know, that that sort of threw the book at him. He only ended up with a two-year term and he did a year and a half. But, you know, the Army has sort of one Fort Leavenworth and this is where he was. And, you know, as he said to me, he was running into murderers and rapists and people in there for life. And what, what had he done? Yeah. You know? Right. Yes. And this, and here's, this is a guy that served our country. I mean, it, Oh it, my goodness. He was, he was, uh, you know, an officer, uh, in the air force. His father had been an air force master sergeant and he's not alone. See, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. Randy, yeah. Yeah. This is, it, it, down on this. this is not just the, the, the one incident of this happening. And when I first saw your piece, Jim, I thought, well, boy, that's a, that's a weird and rare occurrence, <laughs> but then yeah. it's not. Yes. Again. Well, you know, there's something like 14,000, um, uh, service members, vets who were discharged during, uh, prior to the repeal of don't ask, don't tell. So in other words, when, when it was implemented to when it was repealed, and it was repealed, it'll be 12 years ago in September, right? And so and it was in that time, there were about 14,000 who were discharged um, and, and they were done so uh, paying some sort of price. And only a thousand or so have had their cases reviewed and dealt with in an appropriate manner. So there's still thousands of people just from that one session. But <laughs> the best estimate since World War II to the present of... Vets um, who have been persecuted for their sexuality, and again, language is important here, but there's no other way to put it. Right. Veterans who are persecuted for their sexuality, the thinking is there's probably 100,000 uh, since since World War II. Oh. And I, I asked this expert, Rachel Van Landingham, who spent more than 20 years in the Air Force herself, she's a lawyer, knows this stuff uh, backwards and forward, and she said, the military doesn't know how many exactly the numbers they don't want to know they could know mm-hmm. that the the information exists and of course if it became a priority uh with the military they could know they don't want to know so they have a a flawed fundamentally flawed policy of dealing with this and so far there is little will to to actually do something Randy, one last thing here the question that I have been asking all along our reporting, uh, we asked it of, uh, you know, we asked it of Leon Panetta. We've asked it of all kinds of, of people who paid the price. We've asked experts, is the Pentagon's refusal to deal with the lingering effects, is it lingering homophobia or bureaucratic inertia? It's a great question. That's what I need to understand. Great question, and, and I, I, I sensed your frustration over the. You can't even get a call back from the Pentagon on this. They'll talk to us. They'll say, "Look, we can't talk about the, the, the individual cases. That that's our policy." And I understand that. What I don't understand, to be honest with you, at this point, is here we are, twelve years, as I say, after the repeal of "Don't Ask, Don't Tell." Leon Panetta was fantastic. I must say, Secretary of Defense at the time of yes. the repeal said, "Look, we were so focused." on 
on the past and the present, you know, got got sort of they got sort of we we Panetta said we wanted to think about the future. How are we going to go forward? That we didn't spend enough time on the past and and the present. In other mm. words, there are people who paid the price. How do you correct the wrong? Somebody is discharged, as you know, if it's if it's less or other than honorably. Right. There are a whole host of benefits they suddenly can't access. Loans, VA care, and oh. and there are you know this as you heard in the in the piece we yeah, did. And right. You can't work. He can't work as a police dispatcher. Why? Because he's a felon. He's a felon. He's a felon for being gay. And and Jim, you know, this is not an isolated incident of uh, the military being stuck in the past. I mean, we we come across this on this program all the time, where there are 100 year laws in uh, still in effect that deny certain benefits that should. I mean, mm-hmm. just crazy stuff. Well, let me ask you a question. Yeah. In, in 2023, um, isn't it a matter of a couple of keystrokes on a computer to update somebody's record? Right. But how how you're talking about providing justice, a sense of justice to somebody who was persecuted for their sexuality. Isn't it the obligation of the military to take the time to hit the computer three or four times or whatever <laughs> they need to do and update somebody's record so that they can get what they have earned? By serving this country, it's ridiculous. And but you know, Jim, you got to you think about the burn pit issue. Just uh, mm-hmm. that just happened. Yeah, I mean, so many so many things that uh, that people you know you hear all the time about veterans that have filed benefits for something that happened to them in the military and they die before anything ever happens. That's right. That's right. And, and, and but I mean, and more will die here in this case. Um, and and it the, the, I guess the thing that's so enraging is it is so easy to fix. It's a matter of will. So let me just I, I know I'm saying something I've said already, but I just want to I want to lay it out because it's the controlling principle at the heart of all of our reporting is the military's inability to address this injustice, lingering homophobia or bureaucratic inertia. Yeah, man. Yeah, well said. And you know the other thing about uh, the this guy you interviewed is, you know, he should be coming back a hero. And and I I just wondered when I was watching the piece, how much guilt does he feel? Well, you know, I, I think there's a sense here. Um, he was reluctant to go on camera at first because I think he feels like, look, this is thirty years ago, right? Um, I put my life back together. Why do I need to open this up? And and why do I need to relive the trauma? And he has such a conviction that nothing will change. He is so sure. And why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't he right. feel that way? Right. That nothing will change. So even afterwards, we had some communication with him. And he said, you know, thank you for telling my story. But I'm not very optimistic anything's going to change. And everybody feels that way. You know, there's a point to this that... Again, uh, Rachel Van Landingham made in our story, which is that actually when you foster an environment like this where people uh, who have, um, uh, you know, a, a, a certain orientation don't go to uh, apply for jobs, um, we are making ourselves less safe as a country. Right. Yes, you have absolutely. The, people, the people most qualified to do something. Who cares who they love. Right. Who cares who they spend their 
their, their lives with and make homes with, if they are the best at what they do and consequently that's going to make us a safer country, then don't we have an obligation to create an environment where they will feel comfortable serving? And so these are all questions that I want to ask somebody, the appropriate yeah. person at the right. Pentagon. And yet, you know, we, we can't so far to date. We haven't been able to get anybody to say, you know what, come on in. Let's talk about this stuff. You know, Je- I tell you, we're not going to be stopping. Until well, we that, and that's what I love about your reporting. I mean, you, you can tell you, you're passionate about this. Uh, you've got a dogged determination. And and those are the, the things. Uh, and thank you for, for, for being that way and, and doing this investigation, because I think, you know, the thing that you said, what would make Steve come back and 30 years later open himself up to this again, it's the same thing that made Steve enlist in the military in the first place. He wants to I- serve his country. I was the, uh, you know, I was the first reporter at Saddam Hussein Airport in 2003. As the third infantry took the first brigade of the third infantry took the airport, I was, it was an honor, a privilege to be embedded with them, and, wow. and I had never seen anything like that before. Watch how the, the men and women of the first brigade of the third infantry did their business. It was, it was stunning and it was compelling, and I had my eyes opened. I was in the last Humvee. That was out of Iraq in, uh, you know, in 2011. So wow. um, it was th- these I, I had this bookend experience of watching um, the men and women of the United States military do their jobs. And so I, I've carried that admiration and sense of gratitude uh, with me through my reporting career. And so when this came across our desk, it was like, well, hang on a second. Ho, ho, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I just, I, we had to go through it over and over to make sure that this, really? Like, because it's not talked about. It should be understood um, more broadly, more widely. Uh, that And and maybe, you know, it, this is one of those instances, maybe if you shine the light a little bit, right. then people like, because like, listen to your reaction. You had no idea. Oh, everybody, right? everybody, everybody talked to this week about this story had, had no uh, idea. Right. You know, and I'm glad I'm so glad that you had that context too uh, of the experience in Iraq, because uh, we say this all all the time on this program. When you're in the foxhole and the enemy's trying to kill you and your buddy's trying to save you, do you ask him, are you gay? Right. <laughs> right. Right. If I gave you a legal pad and said, write 10,000 questions, you're going to ask the person next to you yeah. uh, in a situation like that. I, I don't think it would make it. Because no. who cares? <laughs> right. Are you right. are you a good soldier? Are you well trained? Do you know how to use the weapon? Right. You, uh, you know, like do you have courage, like all of those things. But I don't think you really care. And and that again is is something that I, I get it. I, I understand. Like we've evolved as a culture, but it's 2023. Right. It's, it's not. It's not 1970. Like <laughs> right. we 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 a long time ago. I mean. Don't ask, don't tell was repealed as the law of the land more than a decade ago. So what are we waiting for to update the system and update the way the military functions and update the commands that the leaders give and get to make sure that these things happen? Yeah, because in the military, it's as you know, Jim, it's one follow, all follow. 
And so, yeah. you know, who's going to be that shining light? Who's going to be the, the person who, who raises their hand and asks that question while you're in the military? Uh, because you can't. And I, I, was, I was in a command and control tent in the Iraqi desert in April of 2003. And there was a crazy sandstorm, Shamal, that came in. And oh, wow. you couldn't see your hand in front of you. You couldn't see your hand in front of you. That's how thick the sand was. Wow. And inside this command and control tent, the the men and women of the 1st Brigade of the 3rd Infantry were still conducting uh, their the, the, the war. <laughs> they were sending artillery right down the, uh, you know, the, the, the guns of what the Iraqis were, were sending uh, to right. the United States way. And I just remember thinking to myself, I mean, I didn't grow up in a time and a place where I understood how the military functioned. So I, this was my first time watching it. I said, wait a minute, they're still able to prosecute war when I can't <laughs> see my hand in front of me. <laughs> right. right. So if they're able to do that, the most sophisticated, technologically advanced, capable of, of conducting a battle in those, you're telling me we can't update some records? You know, and this, I don't get it. the the other sad part, Jim, is we uh, we talked to some uh, talked to a World War II historian the other day, and we talked about how at the beginning of World War II, and, and I didn't know a lot of this, but uh, our army was small; it was tiny, and you know when FDR asked uh, every American to jump in, where where did that spirit go? I mean. Everybody was a part of the war effort. Everybody was a part of the military in their own way. And so now you have situations like this that people can't even see what's happening. Well, so so if it's bureaucratic inertia that's preventing the updating of the records and the discharges, that's a problem yep. because you can't it is that's unable to function. Okay. But if it's lingering homophobia. Right. That is a far more serious issue. And that's when you need to begin to ask questions about, well, wait a minute, what's leadership? What are we, is the military going to lead in terms of our cultural evolution, Right. in terms of equality and civil rights and doing the right thing and, and acting in a way that reflects the law of the land? It, it, because it feels like it, it, this is a golden opportunity to demonstrate yes. uh, your capacity to lead. And so this isn't even a controversial thing anymore. All anybody's asking for is to have their what they have earned uh, in a post don't ask don't tell world, not last week, but you know more than a decade ago, the updating to have uh, the, the the military say if it is lingering homophobia, we are going to stamp that out right now and have a military that reflects the degree of cultural evolution that we have achieved in this country. Well, and as you reported on in your piece too, how about just an apology? How about oh an apology? Oh my goodness. Randy, that's like, you know, you think you, you're, these things matter. So yeah. you sit and talk to these men and women who are heartbroken, who are crushed, who have given up. Or, uh, you know, we, we talked to a guy who had been drummed out of the Marines and then he got finally... He got his uh, his his discharge upgraded and he was walking on air and he could go to the credit union and uh, open mm. accounts and all of the, and, and And he said, you know, it's the greatest thing 
that, that has happened to me. It's so affirming by the process. Why should everybody, every vet who has been given a substandard discharge and is unable to access benefits they earn, why do they need a lawyer? Why does right. it be so complicated that they have to fight for it? Why can't they have their white, as Rachel Van Lanningham suggested, let's turn the presumption upside down. Let's presume that they were treated bad and, and, and improperly treated. And that if the military wants to prove why that's not the case, fine, do that. Otherwise, the assumption should be that they've been mistreated. These veterans who've been persecuted for their sexuality, they should have everything restored. And if the military has a problem with that, then present the evidence as to why they should still have uh, an other than honorable discharge and access to benefits. I love denied. that. I, I love that. And, you know, it's to the point now where every veteran support organization has a team of service officers that that have to uh, dissect all of the VA um, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and go through there and do that for you because they they presume you can't get it done and you can't. I I I couldn't agree more. The the despair and the heartache that is still in place long after it should have been addressed is heartbreaking to me. Um, you know, I, I got to be honest with you. I take very seriously the obligation of a reporter. Um, to, to try to present an objective rendering of any particular story. But that doesn't mean that both sides are right or both sides. You can, you can again, we don't have the other side because the military is not talking to us. Right. But our obligation here, you know, is not to report both sides. You know, that old, the old saying that as a reporter, you don't report one person says it's raining and the other person says it's not. Your job as a reporter is to stick your head outside the window and tell you if you get wet. <laughs> Right. Right. So that's what's that's that's kind of how I feel about this one. I'm I'm not taking some detached sense of objective. Well, on one hand and the other hand, we've looked into this. We've investigated. This is happening. People have been unjustly persecuted for their sexuality. And if it was the law of the land at the time and it's not anymore, you got to do something about that. And if you're not going to do something about that, you have an obligation to explain yourselves to the the people of the United States military and the people of the United States of America, why you are not going to find it um, important enough and make it a high enough priority to address past wrongs. Jim Axelrod, you are the best man. Thank you so much for staying on this. Uh, So appreciate your uh, reporting on everything, but especially something like this. And uh, if you, uh, I, I would imagine it's probably on uh, CBS uh, News website as well. It is. It is. We have a great. I want to do a shout out. the The producer, the young producer who's been driving all of this, is a woman by the name of Jessica Kigo. She's a fantastic journalist. She has been um, all over this story. It's a, a team effort, um, and we, we. I can tell you, both of us are committed to staying on this until finally someone can explain to us why so many people's suffering has not been addressed. I, I promise you that. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's, uh, I worked for the VFW for 10 years and I can tell you also that that's a big ship to turn around. I mean, every, everything that we've talked about 
today, whether it's benefits, whether it's a, a service record, anything like that, it's hard to take that old line thinking and turn that around. And I saw it firsthand at the VFW. And yeah. so if it's if it's within those organizations, number one, uh, it's it's pervasive all throughout the military, as we know. So, but uh, Jim, thanks again, man. Thank you so much for the time too. Randy, thank you. I, I, I am so grateful that you would help us amplify and emphasize this. And please let me come back and give you some updates. That, I, I was just going to ask you. That'd be fantastic. Terrific. You've been listening to Celebrity Salute. Celebrity Salute is produced by Brainstorm Media and distributed by National Defense Network with host Randy Miller and executive produced by Nate Heron. Be sure to visit us at nationaldefensenetwork.com. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also say, Alexa, play the National Defense Network podcast.